Tim, go, 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 go. I shouted as I brought him to college. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. It's that time of year again. We're gearing up for the first day of school, right? Oh, I never was a fan of that day. It marked the end of our lazy summer days where we could get up when we wanted to, when we could go to bed when we wanted to, where we could relax and we didn't have the pounding schedule of every day of school. I remember leading up to the first day of school, was preparing. I remember we'd take about a week out, we'd take our back to school lists and head out to a store. We'd gather up our red and blue and black pens, whatever was on the list, and depending on the year, crayons and colored pencils or pencil cases and trapper keepers. I remember we used to let our kids pick out only one or two cool folders with cool pictures on them since they were more expensive. The rest of the folders had to be those cheap, flimsy cardboard ones that came in a wide array of colors. We'd buy college-ruled notebooks by the armloads, Kleenex for the classrooms, And we dread the year we needed to purchase calculators that seemed to set us back a house payment. Also, as we'd lead up to the first day of school, we'd pile in the car one day, all of us, and we'd drive together to a mall somewhere to do our back-to-school clothes shopping. We'd get the kids a new pair of jeans and school shoes. They'd each get to pick that out first, and then we'd give them a small amount of money that they could use to buy some shirts or whatever else they felt like they needed. Some of the kids picked out their jeans and shoes super fast. One in particular always spent a little more time choosing the shoes and jeans. This bothered the other three because they needed to wait until he was done before they could get on with the discretionary spending. But he wanted his jeans to feel just right. And he usually had a very particular pair of shoes in mind that wouldn't be in every store. And I didn't like to rush him because he came like this, honestly. He came like this in two Even at two, if his shoes and socks didn't feel just so, there was nobody leaving the house until they got fixed. We'd usually, after the shoes and jeans were bought, pause for lunch just to extend this day, and then afterwards finish the rest of our shopping. I remember the twins' first day of school. The day started with a large assembly with all the parents invited to attend. The school did this every year. Each student had either walked, taken the bus, or been driven to school and were already settled into their classrooms. The parents would arrive a little bit later with younger siblings or whatever, and they'd go to the gym and find a seat. After a short bit, the kids would enter in, the students, walking single file behind their teachers. Our boys were in the same kindergarten class. It met every other day for full days. As they filed in behind their teacher, they looked so small as I saw them in their line. And their smiles were so big. They were precious and they were both super excited. I was sitting next to Kenny, who was holding Timothy on his lap, who was one at the time. Greta was three. She sat between us. I felt overwhelmed and I had to leave to go to the bathroom. I didn't want to cry in the gym. I was afraid my twins would look back and see me and then they might get nervous themselves. I was afraid Greta would look up and see me and start asking me lots of questions that would make me cry even more. So I looked at Kenny, told him, I'll be right back, and made a quick exit. 
I ran into the bathroom, grabbed a pile of toilet paper so I could start blowing my nose. I started imagining the opposite, which is what I often do to help me stop crying. What if they never went to school and ended up 40 years old and still lived at home? I totally know now that that's not even at all the opposite of my situation that day, but in my altered state, it seemed like it was, and it made me feel better. So let me have that. I went in the stall to get some more table paper so I could blow my nose one more time before I went back out. And as I turned toward the sinks, I ran into another woman who was also in the bathroom crying. Her child was going to kindergarten too. Oh, I felt sorry with her. It wasn't her first, though. It was her fifth, her fifth boy, her last one. I looked up at her and thought, are you kidding me? This is not going to get any easier? I finally made my way back out to the assembly. When Greta went to school her first year, it was a little bit easier. Kenny had dropped off the older boys and Timothy was with him. We needed two cars, so I drove behind him with Greta. She too was going to be going to kindergarten for full days every other day as well. However, Tuesdays weren't her regular day, and today was Tuesday, the day of the big assembly. So she was just going to attend this assembly, then walk into her classroom and bring her things in. And then I was to take her back home with me and return with her the next day. I was still calling this day her first day of school, though, as we were trying to make it seem super special. She had climbed into her seat, and off we went, right? We sit in the car, I look over at her and I go, wow, Greta, can you believe this is your first day of school? And she looks at me in a sing-songy voice and says, yes, and can you believe that you said I couldn't go to school without getting shots? But I am. I froze. I wanted to tell her she was wrong, but she wasn't. I was trying to figure out where I went wrong. And then it occurred to me, oh my goodness, I had an appointment in the summer earlier for her immunizations, but... She'd been sick with a fever, so I had to cancel the appointment, and then I told them I'd reschedule it once she was feeling better, but I totally forgot and I never rescheduled. So indeed, she was right. Here we were, going to school without her getting her shots. Ah, we walked into the classroom with all of her things, we went to the assembly, and we immediately went to the doctor's office afterwards for her shots. Okay, now, fast forward all the years. All the years, the kids have all graduated. They've gone away to college. The older two have graduated college and started jobs. I was going to be bringing Timothy to college. He had gathered all of his belongings together, packed them up in the 1965 Ford truck that had been in our family, driven by all of the boys and Greta too for a stint, and was heading out. I was going to follow Tim in my Ford Focus, which was also stuffed with stuff behind him. Our first stop was the gas station, which could have been and maybe even should have been uneventful. <laughs> we need to fill up our tanks before we hit the road. I filled up mine, he filled up his, and I paid for both. Then I hopped in and started my car. I hopped out, left my door wide open, and walked over to Tim in his truck. He was ready to go. He was in the driver's seat, but he needed my help. You see, the starter wasn't working well in the truck, and he hadn't had the time nor the money to get it fixed yet. And so I needed to push his truck until it got going, then he would be able to pop the clutch and start it that way. Because we were traveling together and the truck was at risk for stalling out, I would just have to race back into mine and then drive it like I stole it, which was both exciting and annoying. And we were off. We went for a bit then stopped at a McDonald's for lunch along the way. He parked where he could drive forward and I parked close by. We didn't need to talk about the plan anymore. It had become something of a routine. He hopped in, 
I pushed him and pushed him and ran as fast as I could until he could pop the clutch. I'd run back into my car, slam the door, and I would follow him off. Eventually, we arrived at his school. We had to park along the front of the building where everyone is lined up to check in and pick up their keys, drop off any last-minute forms, make payments for stuff, which I kind of laugh at thinking about the days when I thought calculators were expensive. And then we'd have to head to the proper dorm to unload the goods, right? As we walked away from our vehicles to go into the student center, a helpful orientation volunteer in a fun and exciting t-shirt came over to us and asked us to please shut off our cars. I told him, oh, I'm gonna shut mine off, but we're just gonna be super, super fast and we'd just be restarting them in a matter of seconds. So <laughs> he pointed out, well, actually it's better for people who are unloading in this area if there isn't a lot of exhaust fumes. Uh, I told him about the fact that if we turned off the truck, it just might not start again. He faked like he was sympathetic to my plight and kind of nodded and kind of smiled, but wasn't really smiling at all. And he didn't change his mind. So we turned off our engines and we walked into the student center. A few minutes later, we walked back to our cars. Fortunately, the person who is now about to park in front of Tim's truck was still in his car. So I could ask him, would you mind just moving for just a second until I could get this truck started? He was super gracious and pulled ahead. Tim hopped in and I went to the back of the truck and started pushing. Tim, go, 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 go. We went as far as we needed to and he was able to pop the clutch and drive away. At this point, I ran back to my car and as the dad was returning to the spot where he was going to park, he shouted out to me from his window, good job. <laughs> he laughed. He says, we just have to get him there, right? The rest is up to them, right? He is clearly not your first. I laughed and said, you got it. And I hopped in my getaway car and sped after Tim. You got it, kept echoing in my mind. I said it over and over, and it morphed from me talking to this man, confirming what he knew to be true, to me talking to God, confirming what I knew to be true. You got it. Yes, this was my last. And it was actually the last time I moved a kid to school. I didn't know that yet. And I was glad not to, but God knew. I'm glad I didn't know a lot about the last times. I'm glad they kind of sneak up and leave without bringing notice. Like the last time I had a kid crawl in bed with me because they were scared or just wanted to talk. Or the last time a child grabbed my hand as we crossed the street. Or the last time I stayed up until the wee hours of the morning playing Chex Quest or Rock Band or Peggle or some other lame game that had found a fixation between us. I actually have hope that these things might happen still. Or... The last time my mom called me on the phone or called me by name. But in this case, it was the last time I helped a kid move to school. Tim did it on his own after that. I mean, we've helped plenty of our kids move plenty of times to various apartments, homes, states, countries. But again, it was the last time I helped a kid move to school. And you got it. It continued to echo in my mind as I followed Tim to his dorm room. Yep, you got it, last kid. I knew this man probably wasn't leaving his first at a dorm either. I laughed as I thought that I never would have left one of the older kids with a truck that could only start with a hefty push while rolling downhill. But what did I know now that enabled me to do it? Tim might contend that it was because he was a little more adept at life and could handle such a thing. <laughs> I knew that God had it all under control. I had seen the Lord's faithfulness through the years, and though there were still a number of unresolves with regard to each one of our lives, the malfunctioning truck being just one of them, I could continue to say, 
You got it. I reminded myself again and again that God had it before, and he had it now, and he would have it in the future, whatever it held. What did I know now? I knew, as the psalmist did, that if the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. God had this. He would uphold him and his truck. That, yes, eventually did get fixed. (laughs) He would uphold me as I drove away from this campus, as I drove away from this son of mine that I loved dearly. I knew that God would uphold us both, and though we each might stumble, we would not fall, not because we had excellent balance, although he does, but because the Lord upheld us. The Lord makes our steps firm. The Lord guides us in paths of righteousness, right? He makes our way straight as we place our trust in him. Lots of life had happened. Between when I was crying in the bathroom, dropping off my first five-year-olds for kindergarten, to when I was helping my last kid jump his car. (laughs) And that 17-year time span, I had laughed and cried and prayed and fasted. We had attended weddings and funerals and more graduation parties than I could count in our families. We had experienced health struggles, financial challenges, heartache and loss, and through it all, we knew that the Lord upheld us with his hand. You got it, I could say to God this day, because again, I could echo the words of the psalmist from Psalm 37 that said, I was young, (laughs) and now I am old, and I'm older still. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or the children begging for bread. God is always with us. He does not forsake the righteous. He makes us righteous, and then he does not forsake us. The word translated from the Hebrew is forsaken here is alzab. It means to leave, to depart from to leave behind, to let alone. It means to abandon, forsake, or neglect. God does not do this to the righteous. He does not leave them behind or let them alone. He doesn't abandon or neglect them. He is near. Our expectations might be unmet, but God meets us right there in them, assuring us that he's got this. He doesn't forsake us. He is near to the righteous. We see this in the Old Testament. When Moses was encouraging Joshua and the rest of the Israelites, knowing he would no longer be with them, Moses said in Deuteronomy 31, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or terrified for the Lord, your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. God's presence can alleviate our fear and discouragement. We can rest knowing that God is near. We see this in the New Testament as well. When Jesus promised his presence to the disciples when he left, he did this in two ways. First, on the mountain, before he ascends, he tells the disciples that it is their task to make disciples themselves, to make disciples of all nations. And he promises that he would be with them always as they did so. Second, according to Acts 1, and I quote, on one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. 
And Jesus went on to tell them what was going to happen next. He told them, you will receive this power and you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And if you look at Acts, it's exactly what happened. But they were not going to be doing this alone. They would be enabled and empowered by the presence of God himself, this Holy Spirit who would indwell them. So we see it in the Old Testament, we saw it in the New Testament, and we too can read and hear testimony after testimony of God's faithfulness. When the odds are down, when life is difficult, we see many who trust in God's loving kindness and grace and are confident that he can and will do the same again. He will do the same for us. I don't know what you're all going through, but I know that many of you are going through difficult times and need to be reminded that God has it in his capable hands and caring heart. Some of you are experiencing deep loss. Some of you are battling cancer. Some of you are walking alongside a child or spouse or loved one who is walking away from the Lord, but you love them and you so want them to walk into his goodness. Some of them, you are wondering if you're forsaken. I want to remind you that you are not. God is near. He sees you. He doesn't neglect you. He loves you dearly and perfectly. He holds you and will uphold you with his righteous right hand. You can be confident and say with certainty to this God who loves you, you got it.